Take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 15. These are parallel passages. Our text will be from Matthew. We'll be offering the complementary information that Mark gives as this incident of Jesus showing mercy to someone outside of the kingdom is revealed to us in these passages. First, Mark 7 and uh, verses 24 through 40. The word of the Lord, Mark 7, 24. From there, Jesus, he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. When she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Mark chapter 7. Now we go to Matthew chapter 15 and verse 21 through 28. Then Jesus went out from there, and that is from Galilee, and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Thus far we read this amazing event, and I want to introduce this, beloved, by saying if if Jesus had offended the Pharisees and the scribes as he had, according as we learned last time in verse 12 by his teaching, Certainly now, Jesus goes somewhere and acts in a certain way that would offend many people today. And you think of it, imagine if you're a millennial or someone um, hearing this narrative of Jesus healing of this woman's daughter, and you read here of Jesus being silent at the woman's plea and allowing the disciples to tell her to go away, And then Jesus saying, I was not sent except to Israel, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then imagine what the millennial would say or the liberal Christian when Jesus said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. How offensive. How offensive. Oh, beloved, I want to point out to you from this text and this narrative of this amazing incident of mercy that Jesus is come, and regardless of how people are offended at him, he comes and he does these things anyway, and he says these things that he does anyway. And though the millennials and the liberals themselves might be offended because we actually would preach that he's not mistaken here, and that Jesus is not some angry male chauvinist pig himself in the way he deals with this woman. He's not someone who's just just nasty. When we come, imagine the millennials, they come and, and we say, well, we believe this, that this is good of Jesus and that there is some explanation here of what he's doing that gives glory to Jesus. 
well, they'd have nothing to do with us either. Beloved, so be it. We must preach the gospel here, which gospel it is. And it's a great revelation of Jesus who heals this woman and gives her crumbs from the master's table. So we want to consider crumbs from the, or to the little dogs, which is what he calls her. And we want to consider the great Savior who's revealed here, the great faith that she has. Jesus says, great is your faith. And then also the great result of that. And that great result, by way of anticipation, is one of the great results is that we ourselves who would naturally treat others as simply dogs or hogs or whatever else we have to call them, are humbled by this, put ourselves in the woman's place as we who need mercy and we the ones to whom Jesus gives it. And so crumbs to the little dog. And so great Jesus is revealed here. Not corrupt Jesus, not mean Jesus, not racist Jesus, but the good Jesus, the God who is our Savior. And three things especially I want to uh, point out to you from this text, uh, which show the greatness of this Savior. And the first is that he comes here, and for whatever reason, he goes to this other region than Galilee, where he had been, and Judea, where he had been, where the Jews had rejected him. And he goes to this region of Tyre and Sidon. Might have been, as the geographers tell us, 50, 60 miles journey north along the coasts of the Mediterranean, not only. Might have been that he was in the region of Tyre and Sidon, or maybe simply near the border of Tyre and Sidon, just on the border of Israel, the promised land, and this place. He goes to a place where there's Canaanites and Syrophoenicians and a whole mixed multitude of people that are not Jews and not the people of God. In fact, they were called to be, they were in Deuteronomy called to have been exterminated because they were children of Ham. They were Canaanites, ripe for destruction. And when Israel came into Canaan, they were to destroy these people, but not all had been exterminated. But Jesus goes there. And what is not being shown here is that Jesus is not the Jesus we all heard about in the storybooks, who's meek and mild, and, and, and yet now he's somehow uh, in a bad mood or something, and he's calling this poor woman a dog, and he's baiting her almost so that she, she can't know the answer of whether Jesus is going to uh, show mercy or not. He's quiet for a while, and we... we we're not told here, beloved, that there's anything wrong here with Jesus. A lot of people, and, and even commentators I read, and uh, they, they, they look down at Jesus here. They think there's something wrong here. Well, beloved, remember who Jesus is. He's God. He's God with us. And he's coming to do the Father's will. Those two things, just think about that. He's God, and he's sent of God. And that's what he points out. I am not sent, officially commissioned, except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's sent of who? God. But let's know this. First of all, he's not just a man who's sent, a man on a mission. He's God on a mission. And this is the mystery of, the, of godliness. God manifest in the flesh, and now God sent. He's a God sent, and he's sent God. He's the sent God. That's the mystery of Christianity. For how can God be sent and not be just a man? How can God be sent by anyone else as if that someone else was superior? Well, the beauty of Christianity is that God is revealed as triune Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and Jesus is this eternal Son. And yet, in this condescending mercy of God, he comes to be the servant of the Lord. This is what the incarnation's all about. God leaving the throne, as it were, leaving the glory that he had in the person of his son and coming to this earth inglorious. And some would even call him, and he was exposed to this ridicule, an inglorious bastard. 
He's this kind of a God who shows his great glory among us in flesh. Great the mystery of godliness, God man in the flesh, manifest in the flesh, the God who made the worlds is now among the worldlings and himself takes on human flesh in perfection and he's sent. And what he shows here that is that in his human nature, Jesus is subordinate to the Father. Now this is, we have to get this clear here. Jesus is not subordinate to the Father in his eternal nature. There's an old heresy called subordinationism that makes the Son really second as the second person of the Trinity and the, the Holy Spirit third. He's down a notch. But the confession of the Christian church is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, co-equally God. Read the Athanasian Creed, the back of your Psalters. What a wonderful testimony of the truth of the godness of God. They're all equally God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. At the same time, not as a but, but as a however, and in addition to that, because it's revealed in the Bible, the Son and God in the Son has been pleased to take on a form of humanity, a reality of humanity, a different state of being, as it were, so that he becomes fully man. And not just as a man does he come, but as God's man, the servant of the Lord of whom Isaiah speaks in the servant passages, come to do not his will, but God's will. Humble before God. This God who's God, he's humble before God, and he's sent And he does all that he's sent to do. And that's what's revealed here. The God in the flesh, who is this messenger of God, the messenger of the covenant, the mediator between God and man. Not a God-man as if he's a third thing. Not really God, not really man. A mixture of God and man. But very God and very man, united perfectly in the hypostatic union, as we call it, the personal union of the Holy Ghost. This is our Jesus, God in the flesh. And so rather than say, as some commentators have said here, and I have to point this out to you because this is a a modern and very popular view of Jesus, rather than say that Jesus was in a bad mood here and that actually he had to learn something here about bigotry and racism, He learns something through the woman. Rather than say that, we want to say Jesus is right here. And if anybody's wrong, let their wrongness be made known. And if anyone who's commenting on this and maybe listening to this orthodox sermon and has had these notions, let you be wrong, but not God and not his word. This is the revelation of the perfect son of God, the perfect God. God showing mercy, God traveling about and visiting people, and God hiding himself and then making himself known, and and God pronouncing these things, and God as Messiah, the servant of God in the flesh of Jesus, saying, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What he's saying here is, I'm obedient. I'm an obedient son. And I am coming, and I'm doing everything that my father wants me to do. I was sent, but to the lost sheep, and only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and that's where I'm going. In other words, I'm saving God's people among the Jews. And this he was doing to fulfill the will of God, that salvation would be of the Jews, first of all. As the Apostle himself says in chapter 1 of Romans, salvation, full and free, is to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. This is the order. This is the good thing Jesus had said, in fact, to the disciples. Don't go anywhere except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The Great Commission afterwards, Matthew 28, will be about us going into all the world to save all the lost of God's good pleasure. But now there's a focus on salvation of God's people among the Jews. They're lost. They're lost. The lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled here in this fullness of time. The Jews are empty in the fullness of time of what amounts to any real religion. They're not liking Jesus at all. They are offended at Jesus when he comes especially to say, I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. They don't like any of this sin stuff. The sinners are out there, not here. But Jesus comes and he would save his own among them. So the prophecy of Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray, that is fulfilled. And the axe is laid to the root of the tree, which had been the people of God. The vine is cut off, which was to be for the salvation of the nations. Jesus will eventually go elsewhere than to the Jews to save his own from every nation, tribe, and tongue. But right now, this is his focus. And this is what leads me to think that he didn't quite go to Tyre and Sidon where he'd forbidden the disciples to go, but he was near there. And he comes to this one who's from that region to show her something. But before that, he's shown himself to be God here as always, but the obedient servant of the Lord Messiah. The second thing is, he shows himself as the God who's judging here. We don't just find Jesus all of a sudden or by and by in this region of Tyre and Sidon. He departs to go there. Jesus has a reason. He departs from where? From Jewry. He departs from Galilee. He had been there for a while. There's this Capernaum ministry working miracles and just of late, as we saw last week, he's defied the scribes and Pharisees who were accusing him and his disciples of, of disobeying the laws of the elders and thereby being sinners. So he'd met res- with resistance, and increasingly that's the case, and we're going to be seeing this in our exposition of Matthew further and further as we go into these things all the way to the cross. But the result of this is that Jesus is becoming the judge of the people. He is always the judge of the people, but he's exercising judgment. And one way he does that is by departing. And for so long, in fact, God himself had kept himself at distance from the Israelites. There had been no prophet in Israel for some 400 years to show by the silence of the prophecy of God that God was not happy with his people, that had left his commandments and himself for idols and for the, the rules and, and ablutions and so on of the idols. He wasn't happy, and Jesus comes as a manifestation of the unhappy God, meaning the wrathful God. And a terrible thing to fall in the hands of the angry God, and especially if you're Israel. Judgment will begin there at the house of God as it will in the church at the end of time. The church which has the gospel, which has not just the Old but the New Testament, judgment will begin at the house of God. And for all of us, as a warning here, lest it be found that Jesus departs from us, and that he takes the candlestick, as he threatens to do from the, uh, the churches of Asia Minor. He warns them, don't apostatize, lest you be found without the candlestick. Without the light of the truth, lest you be found with all the social programs in the world, lots of people in your congregation, but without the truth, God departs from you and finds you not worthy to hold up a candle, to be the pillar and the ground of the truth. Remember, beloved, the first sermon of yours truly was privileged to preach here. We are the pillar and the ground of the truth, I said, or were nothing at all. Might be the pillar in the ground of Norman Vincent Peale's philosophy of self-esteem. But we need to be the ground, the pillar of the truth, and hold it high. Truth of Jesus. Truth of grace. Truth of mercy. That's the third thing. Especially, is Jesus here departing from one place 
and the environs of a people comfortable with their religion to go to another place, the very borders of paganism, foreshadowing the gospel going to all, all the four corners of the earth. Jesus, as it were, standing right on the edge of the kingdom of heaven. And there, what does he do there? He, he wants not to be known. That's striking. We read of that in other places. Jesus goes and he does a miracle and he says, shh, don't tell anybody, I don't want it to be known. Well, we know it's not for fear of the Jews, but certainly one reason why, and this is what brought it in Mark, why, excuse me, Jesus wants to remain hidden in this house there is that he's waiting for the time to come for his demise in Israel and in Jerusalem. It's not yet time. The Pharisees are working themselves and the people up into a dither about him. They're so offended and so upset about him. And Jesus withdraws, as it were, so that they will not be able to take him prior to the time which is appointed to the Father. Could be that he goes away to refresh himself and his disciples, again, being very human and his disciples being very human. But he would show mercy. This is the key here. And the lady cries out for mercy. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed, and he ends up showing mercy. And this is what we love about Jesus, isn't it? The God who could justly in his wrath condemn us all shows mercy. And mercy is love. But love pointed to the needy. Grace, as a subset of love, is Love pointed to the sinners who don't deserve it. Mercy is love pointed to the needy, the pitiful, the ones in help, the ones in a hole in the ground that can't get out, the ones who may be crying out for mercy like this woman or who may not even know their plight, but Jesus would show this mercy. And mercy, which is not just the healing of a demon-possessed daughter, But mercy to the soul, mercy which God shows to save sinners and to give them the life that is from above. This is the kind of mercy that the Father of mercy has and the Son of mercy has and the Spirit of mercy has to sinners. And he would show this to this woman who could not possibly fulfill the conditions that we naturally think that you have to meet and the requirements you have to tick off to be worthy of mercy. Now, mercy, if it's that kind of mercy, conditional, isn't mercy, is it? It's not really mercy. It's self-help kind of mercy. It's God helping those who help themselves, a kind of a cooperative mercy. But the mercy of the Bible is free. And the mercy is given to me. And the mercy is given to thee, sinner, undeserved one. So this is what Jesus shows here. Not only that, not only does he show mercy to an undeserving one called a dog by the Jews outside of the kingdom, and Jesus, no doubt here, I don't think he's calling the woman a dog, is including her among the dogs of the pagans the Canaanitish worshipers of idols, the immoral sons of men, sons of Adam, doomed to hell. But Jesus shows here the scope of his mercy, not just the nature of it, but the scope of it. He shows mercy to a Gentile. They're the most unlikely of candidates for mercy, someone outside of the pale of Jewry, and, and, and Judah, there is one who is a woman and must be something wrong with her. After all, her daughter's demon-possessed. Who did sin, sin this daughter or this woman or maybe her husband if she had a husband? And by the way, where is her husband? This shameless hussy, what's she doing? You see, in those days, women didn't have near the rights they have today. And she's coming to Jesus, and how dare she talk to a man, alone, 
without her husband there. The words wouldn't be accepted in court. That was the nature of law that day. They wouldn't accept the woman's testimony. Why would Jesus have anything to do with her and even have mercy on her? If she comes, she's such a woman of ill repute and she's nagging, crying, crying, crying. And the disciples have just about had it. Lord, send her away. Some people like to think that the disciples are saying, Lord, send her away after you've healed her and so on. And they're showing mercy. They try to mitigate what this text reads like to me. The disciples have had it with this woman. Jesus wants to be alone. Uh, Send her away. It's not proper here. Oh, you love it? Jesus isn't here to do what's proper. And if he would show mercy as he will, and it doesn't look, look good for Jesus to show mercy to such a person, so be it. He comes to show mercy to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and this lost dog who turns out to be one of the sheep of God. And this we see, second point, in her faith. Jesus commends this woman for her faith. And this is the second time Remember the other time that Jesus showed mercy? I think it's Matthew 8. That was to another Gentile, a Roman centurion, who came to Jesus and who knew Jesus somehow. He believed in Jesus as the great Messiah who had authority and who could command demons to come out and diseases to come out, I think, of his servant. So on behalf of his servant, he says to Jesus, It was miles away from his servant. Could you please heal? You don't have to even come. I know you can do it from afar. And Jesus says, I have not seen so great faith even in all of Israel. Well, here's another time, the second time, another Gentile putting to shame the unbelieving Jews. Such great faith. Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. In Mark The gospel says that for this saying of yours, for the woman's response, Jesus healed her, the fruit of faith, her saying something of which we speak now. This woman has faith joining her to Jesus. And let's consider some of the aspects of this faith. Well, first of all, she's humble, very humble. Because look what she comes and asks for. She cries out to him, this woman of Canaan, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Now, he doesn't even, she doesn't even say, Have mercy on me and heal my daughter. That's the implication. But she comes to him simply and says, Have mercy. Have mercy in general. I need mercy. Oh, I got this problem. I so care for my dear daughter. She's demon-possessed. And what a terrible thing that was, beloved. To be demon-possessed. Thank God. We are Holy Spirit-possessed. No demons can ever possess us because the Holy Spirit would have none of it. But if you're an unbeliever, this is what you're exposed to because you're at the will of the, and the whim of the devil outside of the kingdom and the grace of God and but for the grace of God. We're sons of Satan. Sometimes he would occupy special sons and daughters of his for a time, maybe for all time. But this woman came and cried out for mercy. She didn't say, look what I've done, Lord. I've done this and that and the other thing. I have good reputation. She didn't come with a resume. She came and pleaded nothing of herself. And she saw something in Jesus, in himself, 
that he could give, and he alone, because she doesn't go to other Jews for this mercy. She goes to him whom she calls son of David. Now, again, one might argue, well, she's just saying he's a Jew. And so he calls him son of David. Maybe he knew that his genealogy went from the tribe of Judah, and he's, he's a literal son of David. But I believe, beloved, because of this whole narrative here, that she's calling on him as Messiah. Messiah is promised to be the son of David. Second Samuel son, uh, 7, excuse me, the son, of Sol- uh, the son of David will have a son on the throne forever. And David's son and Solomon's son will build the kingdom of heaven forever. This is a picture of Messiah who comes out of the loins of David, the loins of Abraham, the seed of the woman, the son of God incarnate, of the royal line. You see, she's calling him king. Have mercy on me, O Lord, he says, she says. O Lord, master, savior, God. All those fit in the word Lord, son of David. Somehow she's had knowledge of Jesus. She's heard of him. She's heard of his reputation. She's heard of his alleged identity. And people, good and evil, are talking about Jesus. And that's the way it is, you know, beloved. Even today, people... Good and evil, they talk about Jesus, or they are known for ignoring Jesus intentionally. You can't get away from Jesus. If you know about him especially, you resist Jesus or you receive Jesus. You are for him or again, against him. There's no neutrality with this son of David, son of God, Messiah. That's what the cross is all about. It's either crucify him or believe on him and glory in him. This woman, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. And she's, she's reverent. She is reverent. As Jesus is silent, he answers her not a word. And his disciples are saying, send her away. She cries after us. And when he says, I was sent, not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, then she came and worshipped him. So instead of ignoring the disciples merely and being rebuffed by the Savior saying, I've not sent for you, or by the Savior saying nothing, this woman comes closer to Jesus. And she bends the knee before Jesus. That's the word literally, proskuneo, bow the knee, like every son of man and woman will do at the end of time. They'll bow the knee to the rightful king and lord of the universe and of the church. And then when he answers and says to her, it's not good to take, he answered her, Lord, help me. When he answers her, it's not good to take the children's bread, referring to the gospel privileges that were given to the children of Abraham, the Jews. It's not good to take from their bread and to throw it to the little dogs, meaning everybody else, perhaps referring to a mealtime when they'd be gathered around the table, there'd be dogs at the feet, domestic dogs, that's the idea of little dogs. She says, Lord... No, she says, yes, Lord, and that's significant, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Ah, that's amazing. This woman is not objecting to Jesus here, and the implication is surely that Jesus has just labeled her as someone who's among the dogs. Again, I don't know, I would not venture to say that he's calling her a dog because, after all, she is one of the sheep as we shall see. But she's among them. She's among the pagans. She's among the people who are low ami, which in the Hebrew is not a people. She's among the people who are low ruhama, not mercied, 
They are not the people of God. They are not the chosen ones by race, according to the good pleasure of God in the old dispensation. The new dispensation is not dawned, yet Jesus is not dead and crucified and risen, and the Spirit is not poured out. So she's not one of the in crowd, the blessed crowd. And among those who are not the people of God then and today, the instant reaction, the natural reaction to someone like Jesus, whom you heard might have pity on somebody, and to that somebody's ignoring you and diverting the attention from you to Israel and then saying you're among the dogs, the instant reaction of an unbeliever, any old unbeliever would be, so that's how you're going to play, are you? And to walk away in a huff. You racist bigot, you mean and nasty man. I've come, and of all people, I'm to be pitied. I'm a helpless woman. My daughter is helpless, held in the bondage of demon possession. And I'm coming out to you, and I'm crying to you, and I've showed all due respect to you, and this is what I get for it. That would be the reaction of the millennials. I'm labeling them millennials, but I hear that they're all about rights. Is that true? My rights. What's in it for me? I have the right to decide who I am. I have the right to decide what color my hair is going to be, what my wage should be, and the right for... To be forgiven of my student debt, I have all these rights. Got it coming to me. I'm not of a privileged class like you whites or whoever you think you are and whatever pedigree you are makes you somehow more privileged than I am. So when you would hear a Jesus like this, wow. Well, the liberals have a heyday about this. I read a woman who commented on this. Jesus is a, a chauvinist pig, a male chauvinist pig. Worse than a dog, he's a dog. How mean and nasty. What an uncivilized century that was. And now we've come... And surely the Bible should be rewritten and Jesus recast in all the history, written again so we have a better gospel than that one. And if Jesus had only known and been enlightened like we are about the equality of men and women, and the equality of all races, and the goodness of all humanity, he wouldn't have been so harsh. But that woman does not debate Jesus. Look at that. There's a humble woman. She says, yes, Lord. And she says, she doesn't say yes, but really. She says, yes, she agrees with him. She agrees. Jesus, you're on your mission. I Somehow know that, and if I don't know much about it, I trust you. You're, you're on your mission. I understand that. But here I am. Have mercy upon me. If only a couple of crumbs. And if I know anything of mercy, the mercy that I need, I'm sure of this, that one crumb from the mercy table of God is worth in 10,000 worlds of mercies of earthly tables. Because those mercies can't cure my daughter and they can't cure the, the angst within that I have for my daughter and no doubt for all of life. Without you, Jesus, this woman, great is her faith, She speaks of the possibility 
that even the little dogs might eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And she's not suggesting to Jesus something he doesn't know here, but she's saying something she knows. That God is the God of mercy, and if he's the God of mercy, it doesn't have to do with your lineage. It doesn't have to do with the fact that you're Abraham's physical seed. Because mercy is mercy is mercy. And after all, the promise in the Bible is that God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you're blue-blooded or not. There's got to be crumbs somewhere. If God is the God of mercy and Jesus, I've heard of you and I believe you that you're the Savior of mercy, there's got to be crumbs there is. So she's saying something that's true here. She's saying something that Jesus had not yet revealed to her, but in his mercy was pedagogically and as a great and wise teacher leading her to confess as he was silent and as he worked faith through discouragements of faith and saying, but he's sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and so on, and without her dogs. See, Jesus was having mercy on this lady all the while. It wasn't that he was changing his mind here, and now I'm going to have mercy because this woman has been so persistent, but he's been having mercy all the while. Leading this poor Diswrought woman to himself and to a greater acknowledgement and understanding of how merciful he is. Her attention is focused on Jesus. That's the greatness of her faith. How great is your faith? Because you come to me. And sinner, this is what Jesus says to us today. How great is the faith of those who come to me. And hers was exceptional, and partly because hardly anyone else was coming to Jesus so powerfully and with such persistence. That's what she is. If nothing else here, she's persistent. And her faith is great because she's just simply relying on Jesus and nobody else. You can have great faith in the wrong object. Then where are you? But great faith in the right object of our faith, Jesus, the great Savior, that's everything. And Jesus will reward that faith as he does. This is the result. Third point. Jesus heals the woman's daughter. A woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. And Mark reminds us, that Jesus says for this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Just like that. Just like that. The Savior says, it's so and it's so. The Savior who made the worlds out of nothing and said, let it be, let there be light. And it was so, says now, let there be a demonless girl and it was so. The devils obey Jesus, you see, because he's God. And this woman was rewarded in mercy and grace in answer to her prayers, her persistent believing prayers. The result of this is that other people believe. It's almost as if... <clears throat> Well, I should, should say here, it's almost as if in this setting here, that this, this uh, healing of this daughter of a Syrophoenician woman opens the floodgate of healing. Because right after this, Jesus departs from there and 
skirts up the Sea of Galilee and goes up on the mountain and sits down there and great multitudes came to him having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed and many others and laid them down at Jesus' feet and he healed them all. So this healing of the demoniac, the daughter of the woman, moved Jesus, as it were, to, to heal many others in, back in Jewry. And, well, beloved, this also is for the healing of the people as they're instructed by this. And I think, for example, first of all, the disciples. This woman uh, was so moved, and we don't read of the woman anymore. No doubt she was so glad and so happy and her daughter was healed. Those disciples who had looked down the nose at Jesus, or no, excuse me, at the woman, saying, send her away, she cries out after her, she's a pain, she's just interfering with our rest. They learned something here, no doubt. Now, we don't read this either, but they had to have learned, they're disciples of Jesus. Judas didn't learn, the rest did. I had to learn something of the greatness, the largeness of the heart of God in Jesus' reveal. The heart of God. You see, in the mercy shown to this woman, she who was by nature a dog becomes a sheep. And she who was cursed of God, of the cursed race of Ham in his son Canaan, is now blessed. You see, she was one who was taught here about the Savior himself who become a curse for us and for all his own that we might never be cursed of God. Oh, that's what they had to learn. The disciples who would carry on in the name of Jesus and then go with a great commission to every nation, tribe, and tongue outside the pale of, of Jewry had to learn mercy if they were being, to be effectual in the salvation of sinners. So we learn that too. We learn that too. We learn that we're not to be like those disciples. One has reminded us, and I would remind us, that every one of us has a group that we call others, don't we? A group that we call others. They're the others. They have certain hair, there's certain lineage, certain ethnicity. We've had experience with them. We call them the others, and we put them under the table, don't we? We're here at the table, and they're under the table at best. Or we kick them out the door. I fear sometimes, though, this analogy falls short. We're like, we're like bouncers at some bar or some club. And we're checking everybody's ID. And if their ID says they're of a certain name and it ends with a, a small or starts with a van or whatever, they're in. Everyone else, end of the line or go somewhere else. You can do that in a church. In the church that can become the church of the holy huddle. And nobody else is let in. Because we realize that if this Savior Jesus is the Savior of mercy, then Christianity is a scary thing. It's dangerous to be a Christian. Why? Simply, beloved, because of the vulnerability which is called love. When you love and when you give and when you're on behalf of the Savior who loves and gives and shows mercy... You expose yourself to people. You, you trust in God and not in your, your arguments and not in how safe you can be as a church. You're, you're trusting just in God and you're giving to it hurts and you're, you're giving and you're listening and you're believing these people and they're telling you we need help and the deacons lead the way in this and and we're vulnerable, aren't we? And there's a danger that we become so hardened to that if we've been burned maybe once too many times. We're suspicious of everybody and anyone. No one can get in. 
They're not ready for mercy. Now, beloved, nobody's ever ready for mercy. Nobody. You're not, I'm not. But then when it comes, and God shows mercy to us, and we realize we're just like that woman. We're just the low Amis and the low Ruhamas, not the people and not the mercies as, as anyone else. But when he gives us a crumb, and you taste just a crumb, and you realize now he gives you the whole feast of himself. Jesus has gone from maybe dropping crumbs from the table now to giving us to share in the peace. He's gone from giving us a drop of mercy to opening up the floodgates of heaven by his Holy Spirit poured out upon the sons of men. Won't we be on the behalf of this Jesus and go to the coasts and I urge you even go beyond your coasts, your world, into somebody else's world to show the mercy that saves and that Jesus is still seeking the sheep from the lost house of Israel, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and that Israel is all his people in all the world, wherever he will find them and take them to himself. May he use us. May this be the lesson. We have tasted of the crumbs, and besides that, the whole feast of God in Christ. We're now on the mission on behalf of him to show mercy to all of the people possessed by their own ideas of what's right and what's wrong. All of the self-centered people, all of the demon-possessed and the, the biased themselves-possessed people in the world. We're there for them. They need mercy. That's their only hope. Amen. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be a help in this world to many, to show mercy. We pray ourselves to know that for the grace and mercy of God, we're all going in the way of millennials and the way of the self-righteous and the way of the woke people of this world. We're just like them. And when we realize that, Lord, then we're... Then we're on Jesus' side, aren't we? Then we're on Jesus' side. And there's power to be on the mission of the ages on behalf of the Father and the Son and the communion of the Holy Ghost. And there's pity. And then there's this wonderful possibility of the gospel, which is able to save the worst of sinners. Lord, hear our prayers. We're just dogs by nature. We're now sheep by grace. Feed us till we want no more. 